And uh, the rest of you, take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2. We are in a series called Stability in Unstable Times. How many know that we are living in some unstable times? Unstable politically, financially, relationally, racially, and even, listen, doctrinally. How important is doctrine? How important is theology? How, is it, how important is it what we believe? Theology is the study of God. And so how important is it that we have good theology and good beliefs? And uh, we are in 2 Peter chapter 2. I'll tell you the answer to that. It's very, very important. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest expositors ever, says that 2 Peter 2 is one of the most sobering chapters in all of God's Word. Listen, we're going to deal with some pretty heavy stuff today. And uh, it'll get even heavier next week. And this is one of the things about preaching through books of the Bible. As we've said before, is you don't just skip over stuff that's, that's, that's not comfortable. You have to hit it head on. And so today, we are going to look verse by, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, at just three passages. So 2 Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. Also turn to Matthew chapter 7. Have your finger in Matthew chapter 7, because it's a, it's a related passage right from the lips of Jesus. So let's stand, please, in respect of God's inerrant infallible, eternal Word. Aren't you glad today that you have the Word of God? In a day in which uh, doctrines are all kinds of unstable and beliefs are unstable and everybody says, well, there's no moral absolutes, it's just whatever's true for you. No, this is the Word of God. And we stand on it and it is enduring forever. Matter of fact, Jesus said, uh, not even the least stroke of the pen, all, even the least stroke of a pen, that'd be like a comma today, all of it will be fulfilled. All of it will be fulfilled, what he's written. Second Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. What an interesting phrase. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Listen, don't fall to things that could bring you swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says in verse 13, listen to this, this is very sobering. Jesus said this, Matthew seven thirteen. enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Don't be among the many that follow the broad way. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. It'll look good. It'll look Christian but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now go to Matthew 24, 24. This is the great chapter about the end times, things that will uh, come before Christ returns. It's a very good chapter to, to have in your, in your knower because there's a lot of the things written in Matthew 24 that we're seeing today. But Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Wow so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. 
God, I pray that You will give us hearing hearts and minds today. Lord, I pray that we would be like the Bereans who examine daily the things to see whether they're right. Father, I pray that only what is of You will come from my lips today. I pray that You will use this message today to deepen us as a church. That we will not just love truth and theology as an end in itself, but as a means to a more loving, abiding relationship with Jesus, the truth, and the Word made flesh among us. In His name, amen. You may be seated. So over and over, the Bible talks about the importance of theology and our doctrine. For example, in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul writes to a young pastor, Timothy, and he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes that in the, in the days to come, and we are living in them now, there will be, people will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Boy, are we seeing that today. Accumulating for themselves people that will just say what they want to hear or that justifies their sinful lifestyle. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the true gospel, let him be accursed. That's strong language. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that some, because they're not grounded in the truth, they will be swayed by every wind of teaching. Oh, that sounds good. Let's go there. Oh, that podcast sounds right. Oh, I like what he's saying. And they'll be driven and tossed, and they're not solidly grounded in the Word of God. And Jesus said that the house built on the rock is the house that's stable, even when storms and winds come. But the house built on the sand will crumble when difficult times come. So I think we can see that doctrine is very important. Our theology is very important. Where you go to church is very important. Have you vetted the pastor? Have you read the doctrinal statement? I love it when people say, hey, before I came to Living Hope, pastor, I looked you up. I looked at your theological training. I I looked at your background. I, I read your doctrinal statement. I'm like, that's awesome, man. I really respect you for that. Listen, the process that I went through to be ordained, it was a rigorous ordeal. I mean, I had to have three years of solid theological training, a Master of Divinity, and then another year of Master of Theology, and then I, then I sat before a group of about 15 pastors and others that were solidly theologically uh, trained, and they grilled me on all kinds of doctrinal questions. And I believe that is important today. It is important where you go to church. It is important the doctrine of that church. It is important the podcast you listen to, because the Bible says the truth will set you free. Now, there's this new spider in Georgia. Have y'all heard about it? I think it's called the Juro or Joro or what, what's it called? <laughs> what is it? Joro. It's, that, it's got that yellow stuff on it, you know? And I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you've experienced the, the web, but man, you break that web. I was, I was with my nephews yesterday, and, and it's like as thick as like a, uh, like almost like um, fishing line. I mean, it's, it's, it, this is rough stuff. I mean, they say it will trap a, a hummingbird and kill it, you know? <laughs> what do you say, Mary Catherine? Kill it? Is that what you said? Kill it? <laughs> well, I, I know this. On my property, I, I deal with them, you know? I mean, I'm tired of running into those things, man. They're in my hair, and, and you know, it's hard to even get rid of it. I mean, it's tough. It's tough web. I'm actually fascinated with spiders. I think they're cool. 
I really do. I think the way they can do a web and all that, it's just unbelievable. And they have these patterns. I love it on a, on a foggy morning, you know, and you can see them. Man, I was driving somewhere early this week, and every power line in that, that foggy morning, there was like t- spider webs everywhere. And I'm thinking about that's what doctrinal heresy's like. It'll catch you, and it'll kill you, and it'll bring destruction. But you can barely see it sometimes. It's like invisible until you run into it. So let me just begin. Before we really dissect this passage, let me give you five reasons why theology is important. And again, the word theology, don't let that mesh with you. Theo, theos, God. Ology, study. It's the study of God. How important is it that you have good, accurate Truth about the God of the universe. Um, pretty important. Hello? If you, if you got bad understanding of your Creator and what it means to be saved and what it means that you're created and, and what is morally right or wrong, it's got huge implications. Number one, it's the basis for our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Number two, it can determine true salvation or not. Listen, if you believe, as some churches teach, some versions of the Roman Catholic Church teach that you're saved by works. Got to go to Mass every day. Got to confess every sin. Got to do good works. That's what will save you. If that's what you believe, then you will be on this endless quest to do enough good works, and you'll never feel like you do enough. Furthermore, you do good for a week and do bad for another week, then you lost your salvation. And so there's no stability there. The Bible says you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. And so what you believe about salvation has eternal implications. Number three, Satan is the father of lies. And he counterfeits. He comes like a thief in the night. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Jesus said that they will come in sheep's clothing. When you counterfeit money, you don't counterfeit monopoly money. You counterfeit real money. And you get as close to the real deal as you can. So Satan is deceptive. He's a liar. And he's out to destroy you and me. Be aware. Number four, doctrine determines behavior. If you think the Ten Commandments are irrelevant today, and adultery is no big deal, then have an open marriage. If stealing is no longer a violation of God's holiness, then... If that guy has more than you have and you need it better than him, go take it. It's fine. You see? Are there moral absolutes anymore? If you don't think there are, then everything's up for grabs. So it determines it will influence your behavior. Number five, the truth can set you free. Listen, one of the things that's been so exciting for me here at Living Hope is to see the number of people that are getting set free by the truth of God's Word. People getting set free from addictions, set free from poor self-image. They're learning who they are in Christ. These guys in Fresh Wind are learning about the one true God who still loves them and can heal them and set them free. And these guys are grasping that truth and they're getting set free. It's awesome. We are seeing lives changed every week. And it's not us. It's the truth and the power of God. So let's go through these three verses phrase by phrase. We're going to tear it apart. We're going deep today, so hang on. Got a lot of fill in the blanks on your notes, so get ready. False prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. 
This is first century. This is right after Jesus left. They're, they're as vulnerable as anybody. You have false prophets in the Old Testament. You had false prophets in the New Testament. They were dealing with the Judaizers who were saying, oh, grace, yeah, but you've got to obey the law. And then they had the hyper-grace camp. You know, God's a God of grace and love, so do whatever you want. He'll just forgive you. And so you got all these ditches that you can fall into, and it's the same today, you guys. There's so many false teachings today. Now listen, I'm not going to play around today. It's important that we get specific. I know there's exceptions in every camp. But listen, Jehovah Witness is a cult. They don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe He's God in flesh. Mormonism is a cult. They may say they believe in the same Jesus. It's not the same Jesus. It's not. You look at it. Some forms of Catholicism, not all, teach a work salvation. Hindus believe in reincarnation. Muslims don't even believe that Jesus actually died. He was replaced at the last minute on the cross. So there's a lot of bad teachings. And there's a lot of churches that, that, that will hang the Christian banner out and yet no longer believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Believe that certain moral things like homosexuality are okay. They're, they're putting the rainbow flag on the cross. Listen, my heart for living hope is that we would be like the Bereans in Acts 17-11. They examine what Paul said daily to see if it were true. Don't believe what I say. Believe what God's Word says. I love it when, I love to ask new people to living hope, what do you like about living hope? What do you wish were different? Love to ask that question. And I've been amazed at the number of people, especially those that come from backgrounds, maybe that were heavy spirit but weak on the Word. They were kind of a mile long and an inch deep. And, and they say, we love the sermon notes. I say, wait, wait, time out. You mean the actual printed notes? Like these notes? Yeah, Why? Because it gives us the Scriptures to go home and look it up. I said, I love that. I love that you love that. Because, don't, again, it's, don't believe it because David Holt says it unless it's biblical. And so this is so you go home and do your own study and look it up. Because we need to be like the Bereans. What if David Holt starts teaching some weird wacko theology? What are you going to do, church? Second service answered that real quick. Good. Who said that? Call you out. Amen. And before you did it, I pray that the elders here would do it. Or else they're not worth their salt. Because the elders are called to, to, to guard the theological integrity of the church. And, and, if, and if the senior pastor, and you never should be a part of a church where the senior pastor has sole authority. He's one among a group of elders. So it's a plurality of leadership. Paul always told appoint elders in every town. And so if I started teaching some wacko stuff, that guy right there, Jimmy Bamberg, among others, better come and knock on my door and we have a serious discussion. <laughs> Amen? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secretly bring in. Folks, this is subtle. It can be sneaky. One of the guys I like to listen to is Chuck Smith. Old Chuck Smith sermons. Calvary Chapel. If you have the Blue Letter Bible app and you tap on a verse, it doesn't matter if it's Leviticus or Revelation or 2 Peter. Your first option on listening to a sermon is going to be Chuck Smith. Because the old Calvary Chapel, man, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. That's how they teach. And I was listening to an old Chuck Smith message this week. It's probably back from the 90s. And, and he talked about this group, this, this, this ministry that bought somebody's mailing list. 
And they would send these, these letters out, and they would personalize it. Because back then, that was kind of new to be able to put your name in there. So, dear Anne, you are on my heart today. This would be the letter they'd send to thousands of people. Dear Anne, you are on my heart today. I was praying for you early in the morning. And I would just encourage you to send me your prayer request so I could pray more specifically for you. And as you do, please enclose us. You named it a check, a sizable donation. You see? It's a secret. And I'm not saying that somebody that does that necessarily is a false teacher or a false prophet, but it should cause concern. Because these things can secretly come in. And the Bible even talks about you know, captivating on weak people. And this, this phrase, destructive heresies, what a powerful phrase. A heresy is something that appears to be good, it has a kernel of truth, but it actually goes against the Bible and can do great harm, thus destructive. Let me give you an example. I believe the modern prosperity theology, the health and wealth gospel, is an example of this. Does God want to bless? Yes. Does God heal? Absolutely. We're seeing some... Really cool healings right now at this church through our youth ministry. Talk to Jennifer Malcolm if you want to hear about one that happened Wednesday night. Does God prosper? Yes. But to make the focus of His blessing, listen carefully, healing and prospering, and it be about money and health and ease of life and a pretty materialistic focus, that's when you get led astray. You say you take a kernel of truth, but you build an entire theology around it to the exclusion of other truth like suffering, God using difficulty to refine us, the thorn in the flesh. So again, you don't, you don't go to one extreme or the other. You don't go over here and say, he just, he just wants you to suffer all the time and hurt, so never pray for healing. Never pray that God would deliver you. No, pray for healing. Ask God for miracles. Sometimes He will. But if you're not healed, don't say it's because you didn't have enough faith and it's all your fault. There's a balance because you need to understand what is called systematic theology. This is what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation about any given topic. What does the Bible teach about sin? Not just in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. You see? You have a systematic theology. This is why I want this church to, to be a deep church. I want you guys to be equipped to handle the kind of stuff that's going to come down your way as, as, the, as the return of Christ gets closer. We're going to see more stuff that's going to seek to deceive people. I mean, the Bible says the Antichrist... The Antichrist is going to be, he's going to recover from a fatal wound, the Bible says. It's going to, he's going to maybe die and be resurrected, and it's going to look like, oh, he must be of God. No, he's not. How are you going to know that? Is your discernment meter going to be high enough to see if that stuff is not of God? And then it says this, even denying the master who bought them. What an interesting phrase. All right, I'm going to... Go somewhere right now. So I am, if you want to put me in a theological camp, as Wayne Grudem is, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm reformed in my theology. Those of you that know what that means, I am more in the reform camp, which would be more Calvinistic. Okay, but I am not a strict five-point Calvinist. And one of, the, one of the tenets of Calvinism that I don't agree with is called limited atonement. He only died for the elect. And this verse, I, this phrase, I believe puts into question limited atonement. Because it says they deny, that means they're not saved. They're denying the master who bought them. He died for their sins, but they didn't receive it, so it's not theirs. 
He paid the price to buy them, but they deny it, so they're not one of the elect, yet He died for them. Just throw that out, because we're going to go deep today. Now, the fact that Peter zeroes in on Jesus here, deny the master who bought them, I think this is very profound, that it shows that the bullseye of all doctrines, all theologies, the bullseye, I'm a bow hunter, I, wanna, I, I, I like it if I hit the target because then I don't lose my arrow, but I want to hit the bullseye. <laughs> I want dead center. And the dead center issue that you and I need to always come back to when it comes to any area of theology or doctrine is Jesus. What do they teach about Jesus? Okay, you can, you can get sidetracked on all kinds of peripheral issues, you know, but the, the dead, dead center issue is Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses do not believe in the same Jesus, you guys. Mormons are not preaching the same Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, they preach to you another Jesus. So they can use the name Jesus, but it's not the Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man. Listen, if Jesus is not fully God and fully man, He cannot be our full Savior. Because in His humanity, it was required that He be human to bear our sin and drink the cup of wrath. It was His deity that made Him the perfect sacrifice, slain from the foundation of the earth, able to pay fully for our sins that we might be fully redeemed. So His full humanity and full deity are essential for full atonement. So look to what they teach about Jesus. Then it says, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You see, teachers are not only accountable for their personal life, but they're accountable for what they teach. I will not only stand before God one day and give an account of my own personal salvation, my own personal walk with God, my own personal morality, but I will stand before God, and this is why James says, not many of you presume to be teachers, because you will incur a stricter judgment. I will stand before God about what I taught here, the effects my teaching and life had on other people. Did I lead them to a deeper knowledge of Jesus? If so, there's great reward. So don't back away from this if it's your calling. But at the same time, it's a sobering thing because if I lead people astray, I will stand accountable to God for that. And that's why Jesus said it is better a millstone be hung around somebody's neck than they lead anyone astray. And I think that refers to sexual abuse of children, but I also believe it refers to false teaching. I mean, what we teach over there in the Generations Building, right now, if Kathy and her team are, are not teaching the truth about God, they're leading these children astray, they're going to have a shaky foundation from the very beginning, but if they are teaching the truth about God, which I believe they are, then they're getting to know the true God and the true Jesus and how to be truly saved and to love God and to love His Word, man, there's going to be great rewards for those people that are teaching today and helping direct our children to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. So that's the privilege we have. It's a, it's a sobering responsibility, but it's a great privilege. Folks, this is why I, I encourage all of you. I pray that one of the applications today is some of you will go much deeper. Take a class from the Athens College of Ministry. Take a class from Liberty Online. Go deeper. Order systematic theology. You say, what? That's too heady. No, it's not. Listen, Wayne Grudem wrote this book so his parents could understand theology, and they're not seminary trained. I'm on the phone this week with Jake Fromm. Y'all know I'm, I did Jake Fromm's wedding, and we hadn't touched base in a while. I mean, here's an NFL quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. And Jake, in our conversation, said, Pastor David, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper in the Word. I want to go deeper in theology. I said, Jake, buy systematic theology. We'll discuss a chapter every two weeks. He said, I'll do it. I love that. You know, if, if I could only take one book to a desert island other than the Bible, this is it. 
This is the one book I tell people, you could actually read this in your daily devotions, your quiet time. Say, wait, wait, you got to always be in God's Word. You would not be cheating Scripture because it's so filled with Scripture. I mean, every page practically has 10, 11 verses. And he wrote it to deepen people in theology, ground people in the Word of God, and also to be devotional. At the end of every chapter, there's a, a hymn or a song of worship. There's questions. And so, folks, I just pray that you will go deeper just for your own personal development. Whether you ever are involved in vocational ministry or any kind of a teaching ministry, be a person who's going deeper. Because the Bible says we must be able to, to defend the faith. And boy, is the faith of Jesus under attack today. Can you defend it? Can you give me three verses right now defending the, the, the inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ? Guarantee you Dustin Butler could. I could grill him right now. And give me three verses on the deity of Christ. He'd be like, yeah. I mean, because the dude's been in the Word for years. But it's not a, listen, it's not a, it's not a dead doctrinal head trip. You remember, remember when, when Jesus said about the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that speak of me. So any study of theology or any study of the written Word must always lead us to a more loving relationship with the Word become flesh and dwelt among us. This is not an end in itself. The Trinity is not Father, Son, Holy Bible. <laughs> this Word must lead us to a deeper, more intimate, abiding relationship with the living Word, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen? Next phrase, verse 3, verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. First of all, that phrase, many, is sad. It means the majority. Just like Jesus said, the way leading to destruction is broad. Many will enter by it. Isn't that sad? Folks, that is a sobering statement. Are you, do you know today you're saved? If you are, how do you know today you're saved? Do you know today you're saved because you just prayed a little prayer? Do you know today you're saved because somebody told you you're saved? Or do you know today you're saved because of what God's Word says about your soul and your life? You ask me today, how do you know you're saved, David? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God. He paid for my sin. He drank the cup of judgment that I deserve. And I have turned from my sin. I have repented I put my faith and trust in Christ alone, not my works, not my anything, just in Him. And I've seen evidence of that by a changed life. Right here it says, if I put my faith and trust in Christ, I am born again. I'm a child of God. I opened the door of my life. He said He would come in, so I know it based upon what He said. He promised it. Not my feelings, not, not even my experience at this point. I know because of what he says, I've, I've, I've responded to the free gift. I've received it in my life. And I've seen evidence through a changed life, through changed desires. So I'm not saved by good works, but good works have followed giving evidence that my faith was real. That's how, that's how I would answer that. How about you? Listen, this is eternal stuff. Do you know that you know that you know that you're born again and saved? If not, man, get that settled. If you are saved, are you growing deeper? 
Are you loving His Word? Are you, can you defend your faith? Are you, are you guarding yourself against being led astray? And then the next phrase, it says, many will follow their sensuality. So now we've not only gone to their teaching, but to their life. And many false prophets and false teachers have an immoral life. When you look at it, if you, look at, if you study cults, Jim Jones, Drink the Kool-Aid, you know, these, these cults that, that have been around, often behind the scenes is sexual immorality, abusing girls. It's a life of all kinds of promiscuity. History of Mormonism, multiple wives. Paul told Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. And then it says, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So when you have false teachers that lead people astray, it puts all of Christianity in suspect by the watching world. I remember back in the 90s when you had the Jim, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swigert scandals. Those guys fell into sin. And I remember back then it was a Johnny Carson show. And man, he just made sport. He made sport of Christianity because of the Baker and Swigert sexual immoralities and misuse of money and all that stuff. And so that's exactly what this verse says. It, it, it gives the watching world, unfortunately, reason to just say, you know what, you, the Christianity is just a joke. Look at that. Look at these guys. Look at these guys. They're, they're living in $6 million mansions. And there's widows giving their tithe of $10 a week. What's with that? You see? You see how one's lifestyle can often give discredit to the message. Verse 3, and so we go right into greed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Send me your prayer request. You are on my heart. And please make sure to enclose a sizable donation. <laughs> so sometimes it's greed for money, but it can be greed for sex, greed for fame, greed for notoriety, greed for power and control. Once again, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Often it's more about them than Jesus. Self-promoting. And then this very sobering phrase, their condemnation and their destruction. They will stand before a holy, righteous judge one day. And the judgment may not come as quick as we'd like. I like this phrase, their destruction is not asleep. It seems like it's asleep. It seems like they're doing great and, and nothing's, they're not being held accountable. But they will. God's so patient. He's long-suffering. He's giving them every opportunity to repent. So let me just... Follow this up with signs of a false teacher. Here's just a few that I believe are common. Number one, they proclaim another Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, 4. It's not the Jesus who's the Son of God. It's another Jesus. Number two, they preach a different gospel. Often it's a gospel of works. Or they add to the gospel. It's grace plus baptism. It's grace plus obey the law. Be careful. Be careful, you guys. I'm not going to name the denomination, but when I was in college, this denomination told me, Billy Graham's not a Christian. I said, what are you talking about? He said, because he hasn't been baptized for the remission of sins. Mary Catherine, you know this group well, don't you? <laughs> it's baptism for salvation. And what it really boils down to is if you're not baptized in their church for those exact reasons, it doesn't take. I said, wait, he's believed he's been baptized. Yeah, but it wasn't for the remission of sins in our church. Like, give me a break. It's a different gospel. And that's what led, isn't it true, Mary Catherine, that that denomination, I'm not going to name it, is what partially led Rich into atheism. Because he always felt like he was going to lose his salvation. 
Because it was very much a walk on eggshells. If you sinned that week, then you lost your salvation. There was no liberty and grace and eternal security. Number three, they, they often abuse power and authority. Again, it's more about self than God. Number four, greedy for money, often very materialistic. Beware. And number five, oh, this is interesting. One of the qualifications for a true elder in 1 Timothy 3 is they're not eager for financial gain. And number five, they live an immoral life. Again, not always, but often that comes. Now, I'm going to give an example here, and I know it's very um, controversial today, but guys... We're not going to avoid difficult topics today. We're seeing this today with many so-called Christian churches endorsing the gay rights and okay with homosexuality and abortion. This is why historical theology is very important. Let me explain this and listen very closely. Systematic theology is what does the Bible teach as a whole on a given topic. Historical theology is what has the church believed from the first century till now. In other words, let's trace the doctrines that are covered here in terms of church history. What, did the church, what does the church believe from the first century all the way now on sin, the deity of Christ, salvation, etc.? No point in church history until our current generation has endorsed the sin of homosexual sex. That's pretty telling. Take all of Catholicism, Protestantism, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, any form or denomination or whatever group within Christianity, never in the entire 2,000 year history of the Christian church has the church ever said that homosexual sex was okay until our generation? Because it's not biblical. And what has happened now is that the church has embraced a lifestyle because they're afraid to stand on truth. Many have abandoned the inerrancy of Scripture. And so they're saying, well, I guess it's okay. Maybe God created some people that way. No. Does God love all people? Absolutely. Is that sin worse than any others? No. Whenever I preach against or talk about the sin of homosexual sex, I always say, all sexual sin is sin. Pornography, adultery, it's all sin before God. And so is homosexual sex. Old Testament, New Testament. Folks, you have to do some hermeneutical gymnastics to get around the passages that clearly say it is sin before Almighty God. Can He forgive it? Absolutely. Can He set them free? Absolutely. And so for churches now to say, oh, it's okay, and hang the rainbow flag on their crosses, that grieves the heart of God, I'm telling you. That is compromising truth in the name of grace and love. Listen, you're not truly loving somebody if you don't tell them the truth. You know, if I say to you, brother, it's okay if you go and steal from Walmart today, am I really loving you? I mean, that may be what you want to hear if that's your inclination. But if I tell you that, I'm not really loving you. And so we always want to speak the truth in love. And Jesus modeled this perfectly for us with the woman caught in adultery. He didn't say, oh, adultery's fine. I know you love this guy and he's showing you affection and it's okay because we all have feelings. No, he said, go and sin no more. But he also said, neither do I condemn you. 
So He gave her grace of not condemning her, and He gave her truth to say sin is sin. And truth will set us free. Now this is why what we're doing in Africa is so important. This whole topic today, perfect timing, is why what we do in Africa is so important. And uh, I'm going to let you watch a short video about our trip to Uganda and Ethiopia. But Pastor Isaac said to me, David, the church in Uganda specifically is a mile long and an inch deep. We, we were, Christianity was birthed in Uganda through evangelists. We've had many evangelists come, preach the gospel, thousands saved, but, but we're an inch deep. We need theology. We need depth because we're vulnerable to false teaching and false doctrines. And he said, that's why what you do every year is so important and helpful for us. And, and your books and what Living Hope does and sending you is so helpful for us here in Africa. And so I want you to watch this video that Mia Redhead, Jason's wife, put together. did an amazing job. Took some of our pictures. And just to kind of help you understand it better, when you, when you see people standing, a few people standing in the midst of a group, those are people that were praying to receive Christ. They were getting saved. And then you'll see many pictures where people are holding up a book. And that's some of the books that I've written that's been translated in their language. They all got a copy of it to study and go deeper. And so just watch this and be encouraged that you guys were part of this. Not just me. You sent me. Many of you supported us financially in doing this. And uh, man, when, when Isaac said that about a mile long and an inch deep, it was like a shot in my arm that as much as I hate the travel, <laughs> what, what we're doing there is so vitally important. And it's being used in, in, a, in a neat way. So watch this. Thank you so much for the sacrifice you put in, the prayers you put in, the love and encouragement to them. And we encourage you to continue sending them that they equip the leaders in the country that the body of Christ may yield more fruits for the glory of the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Looking forward to see them again next year, preferably.
that picture. Can you keep that last one? Man. You're not able to bring back that. No, that little girl at the very end, she's about 10 years old. Listen, this is a pastor's conference. This is a leadership conference. And there were like 30 kids that would sit for six hours and never misbehave. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. And this little girl just struck us because she was so engaged in worship. And just, I was ready to sign papers for her to marry one of my grandkids, like prearranged marriage, you know, thing. I mean, seriously. I mean, he just had the sweetest heart. And thankfully, Shannon went over to her the last day and said, can I see your notebook? And that last picture, you go to my Facebook page, you'll see, it's pages of notes. I'm like, oh my gosh. Just the most, ah, God's going to use that girl. Man. Whew, I'm a wreck. All right, before we take a few questions, let me just conclude by sharing five ways to avoid being led astray. Number one, know the Word. And again, know the Word because you want to know the God of the Word. God, I want to meditate on Your Word day and night. I want to get the hidden manna. I want to embrace and love Your truth because I love You. God, I want to know You better. God, I want to know the Gospel better. God, I want to know my identity. God, I want to... I mean, that's why you don't, you don't study the Word to be an egghead and impress people and get a degree and impress people with your knowledge. That's pride. That's Phariseeism. It's know the book so you know the author. God, I want to know You! God, I want to know your heart. I want to know what hurts you. I want to know what delights your heart. Next week, you guys, the passage, I mean, it's just riveted me. It's, I think it's verse 7 and 8. It says, Lot's soul was tormented day by day by what he saw and heard. The sin around him of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we'll look at that next week, it tormented his soul. So one of the challenges in living a godly life is that you see the sin and it grieves you, but you also want to maintain the joy of the Lord being your strength. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I, I can't, there's no formula for that. And we're going to look heavy at that next week. What does it mean that Lot's soul was tormented day by day for what he saw and heard? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I can't watch a lot of the night. I mean, I, I, only so much news can I handle. I get depressed. But I need to know some. I, need, I don't want to be like ignorant. It says that those, you know, they know their times and they, 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 they do great exploits for God. And so we need to know our times. And, and so there's that balance of the joy of the Lord, but also being grieved over the sin around us. But know the Word. Number two, walk close with Jesus. Abide in Him. Cling to Him. The, the sin of our day and the tendency toward theological da- drifting makes me just say, God, apart from Your grace, I am as prone as anybody. I don't want to go down a trail that's not of You. God, help me stay solid. God, let me read. It's important what you read, what you listen to, where you go to church. You don't go to church just because it makes you feel good. You don't select a church just because you like the music style and it gives you goosebumps. You go to church where God is honored. The truth is proclaimed. Where, yes, worship, absolutely, I call worship the meat and potatoes of Sunday morning. Worship in the Word. <laughs> the Word is the meat and the worship is the potatoes. 
And I'm so thankful for our worship team here. I was in tears in second service. Thanking them for the, the time they put in. Man, they, they don't select songs flippantly. Make sure they're theologically sound and full of the Holy Spirit. And man, the hours they put in to lead us into His presence every week. So thankful for that. Number three, know not only systematic theology, but know historical theology. So number one covered systematic theology. Number three, know historical theology. Number four, this is important. Be in solid community. Okay? Because when you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Spirit-filled church, then there's protection there. You know? And so this is why we don't live in isolation. We need community. You need, we need each other. We need the church. And number five, just stay on guard. Don't let down your guard because the enemy is relentless. And as the return of Christ gets closer, the Bible says many will be led astray. There's going to be this great falling away. That's scary. It's one of the signs of the end times. There'll be a great falling away. Don't be, don't be one who falls away. So my challenge today is, do you know you're saved? And if so, how do you know it? Number two, if you are saved, are you going deeper? What, what are some active steps you're taking to make sure you're going deeper and you're grounding yourself? And I encourage you to get systematic theology and start, start getting into it. All right, questions. Jerry, you got one? Well, you got to order it. This is my copy. This is my copy. <laughs> I'll loan it to you till you get yours. It's about 40 bucks. Good investment. They, I, yeah, I don't know if they'll have it there, but I know it's on Amazon. This is a second edition, by the way. All right, let's take some questions. we got about seven minutes. And boy, did we have doozies in the second service, didn't we, Jimmy? You, I would really encourage you guys to just go back and watch. Seriously, I've never done this before. I encourage you to, to watch just the question and answer time in second service today. When you get time today, go back and just fast forward it to the Q&A time. Because it was really, really interesting. Um, all right, over here. Try to stay on topic. Yes, sir. Uh, this is more of a shameless plug. Um, so at the Athens College of Ministry, we do have a systematic theology class. Yes. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to offer it either next summer or next fall. And so I'll make sure to let the church know about oh, that. Oh, thank you, Alex. But the, the textbook we use for that is awesome. Um, we look at, because we're interdenominational, we look at what different denominations have taught on a certain subject. And we look at heresy as well to say, hey, here's what the church has always said is not okay. Yeah. Um, and we look at historical theology as well. So Love it. We'll look at, you know, how has the church thought about this particular subject over time? And so what you see is that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. A lot of the heresies today were paralleled in the... Some That's the so good, heresies. brother. So yeah. I just want to encourage y'all to, to check that out. Good. And, and I'll, I'll let y'all know when I know more. And I want to mention this too because y'all brought it up. Um, I'm actually going to be preaching at a church... That is that denomination that preaches that baptism is essential for salvation in two weeks. So I would appreciate y'all's prayers. Amen. So Athens College of Ministry, you guys, right in Watkinsville. It's right here. We get a 40% discount. They've increased our discount. So we support that school from our tithing money. That's one of the ministries we support. Because of that, you guys all get a 40% discount on stuff. So yes, there's great classes there right here among us. Yes. Kind of two things. Um, will you touch on um, swinging in the church. On what? Swinging. Sexual immor immorality with swinging. Do you know what that is? Why am I not hearing? Huh? Swinging. 
Swinging. Sweet. Do you know? Do you know the? Oh, like an open marriage, or not? Yes, but they don't call it. Swingers don't typically call it an open marriage, and there's the different levels, and it's very prominent among. Yeah, I can address that real easy. Let me let me hit that first. Okay. Any sex outside of a one man, one woman marital relationship is a sin. Period. That covers everything. Any sex. And folks, listen, I know college students, I've heard, not our college students. Y'all are awesome. You know, those out there. <laughs> those worldly students, not not living hope students. We're a family, right? We can be real transparent, honest, okay? Oral sex is sex. Okay? Because I've heard people try to skirt around. Well, we didn't have intercourse. No, it's called oral sex because it's sex. So, any sex, including that, outside of a one man, one woman, marital relationship is a sin. The Bible's very clear on that. Furthermore, Pornography, lusting after somebody, going to bed with them, undressing them in your heart, that is a sin. Okay? So, okay, what was the next one? It's related. Will you, if we are believers and we're talking to another believer who does these things, what specific scriptures can we direct them to? Oh, there's so many. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 4. You know, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that's the word that covers porneia, from which we get pornography, but it's, it covers a host. Porneia, if you study the Greek word porneia, it covers any sex outside of a one man, one woman marital relationship. Um, Ten Commandments, there's adultery. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Romans 1, homosexuality. Um, so Jude defines the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as sexual immorality. It wasn't inhospitality. We'll get into that next week. Um, so there's so many, but those are a few scriptures. Um, and here's the other thing. When, first of all, it's very important. And again, this is why good understanding of the nature of God is so important. Because if you don't understand that God is a loving Father who wants the best for us, then you think these prohibitions or because he's some killjoy. No, he's not. He wants to protect and provide for you. And so, you know, you tell your child, don't run out into a four-lane highway. <laughs> Why? Because you don't want him to get killed. Not because you want to be, oh, you're so restrictive. <laughs> you won't let me run out into a four-lane highway. Oh, Dad, you're so restrictive. I'm six years old, but you won't let me run the chainsaw. Because you'll cut your arm off. And so, it's because God loves you and wants to protect and provide for you. That's why He gives us these boundaries. Yeah, so I'm not talking about my kids, but I'm just wondering, is it wrong to um, make your kids, teenage kids, go to church if they don't want to? Oh, great question. Now, that has nothing to do with our passage today, but I'll still answer it. Is it wrong? Should you make your kids go to church if they don't want to? As long as they're under your roof, Absolutely. I mean, as long as they're under your roof, you're paying the bills, right? <laughs> Hello, you're providing food and shelter. Then as long as they're under your roof, I think you have the absolute right to, to, to make the rules. As, as long as you live here, this is what we do as a family. We go to church. But again, don't make it some legalistic thing where you're going to beat the crap out of them if they don't do it. or so, You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there's consequences. Sorry, I use that word. I've always taught my kids not to say that word, and I did it, so I apologize. I know it's accepted today, but it's... I, I still don't like the word I just used, so I apologize for that. C-R-A-P. Um, 
See, it slipped right over. <laughs> but, but, so yeah, I think, we, but, but make sure it's truth and love. But I, I think parents should, you know, have those kind of rules and stick to them. Pastor, I have a statement. I, I just want to say thank you for covering this topic because a lot of churches, I believe today across America, would avoid this topic that you're preaching mm -hmm. on today. And I really appreciate that because it is the word of God. If God put prophecy and last day signs in there, he put it in there for a reason. Amen. And especially the book of Revelation, which says, blessed are those who read it and man, hear our, it I, and understand it. Bob Russo's class on Wednesday nights, I, couldn't, I had to go over to the youth group. I, I didn't want to leave. It was so amazing. Bob Russo's class on Revelation on Wednesday nights here, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The dude, I mean, it is wow. And you can yeah. join any time. So come this week. It's in that room right over there. Right. But man, it's there, awesome. There's two reasons why we should teach it. One, because it's in the Word of God. Yeah. And number two, if a church doesn't teach these topics. That's right. Other cults come, we'll come in, in. That's right, and, and fill the space. These, yes, Seventh Day Adventists yeah. are filled with people who go to churches like this because churches across America won't touch these last days. Teachings. Thank you. Good word, brother. So yeah. I, Good I word. All right, let's take maybe one more. And again, my guys, my email is always on the bottom of the sermon notes, so I welcome questions throughout the week. I love it when y'all send questions in. It shows me you're hungry and you're going deeper. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come on up, but if we got one or two more, if not, we'll go ahead and, all right. Oh, we got one more. Thanks. I tested my question, do you? Oh, okay. Hold on. Do you see things like CRT and other unchristian things like they're a serious threat to the church and our nation, like critical race theory, homosexuality, transgenderism? Because I was just thinking about it while he was preaching. I, I'm sorry I missed a lot of that. J Jimmy, I was you... talking about uh, CRT, yeah. homosexuality, transgenderism. Do you see that as a serious threat to I the do. church in our country? Yeah, all three of those, I believe, are unbiblical. Yeah. If you want a great message on critical race theory, listen to um, Vody Bauckham. And, uh, yeah, good job. Uh, that impresses me, brother. Bodie Bauckham has a great message dissecting critical race theory and where it's not biblical. Um, and again, you know, here's, what happen, here's what's happening today is, is in the name of compassion. In the name of compassion and love, you know, we need to, to just say, it's okay that you abort your baby. In the name of compassion and love, you know, I know that it, some just must be born that way and and, and, and in the name of compassion and love, you know, transgender, if, if you think you're really a woman but you're a man, then, then just change it. In the name of compassion, well, we need to embrace all people. Yes, absolutely. Yes, black lives matter. But the movement is communist. It's, it's, it's socialist. Uh, and so, so be careful in the name of compassion and love. Oh, we're going to embrace this because we want to look like, you know, we're this, we're this inclusive church. You know, but, but, but you can easily get swept into a movement that is very unbiblical. And so I can embrace the phrase, black lives matter, because they do. So do red lives and white lives, all lives. But, but the movement itself, which is behind that, is very ungodly. It's very anti-family. It's anti-male being the, the leader, the servant leader. 
And the leaders, are, the leaders of it are filthy rich. They're milking all this money. They love all the money that's coming in. And so you see how easy it is, guys. This is why you need to be discerning. And, and, we need to, and I love Vody Bauckham's message because he approaches it biblical. The biblical solution versus the worldly solution. And um, Texas. The black pastor in Texas. Tony Evans. Thank you, Dustin. Tony Evans has a great message too on, on CRT and all of that. Well, Father, we love you and we thank you for your word and your character. And God, I thank you and praise you that it's the gospel of Jesus, the cross of Jesus that brings together the fullness of your truth and the fullness of your grace. Because your truth says sin is a big deal. Sin deserves to be judged. But your grace says I'm going res- to be judged for you. I'm going to die for your sin so that you can be forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for how deep, how deep the Father's love for us. Let's stand together.